Uh, welcome back to Calvary Life. This is a podcast by the pastors of Calvary Baptist Church for the members of Calvary Baptist Church and, and other listeners who are interested in church life and those kind of topics. Uh, I'm Charles Uptain. I'm Paul Thompson. And uh, today, Paul, we have a, a subject that kind of comes from a few different sources. Uh, we had a listener who asked us about this topic, and then also it kind of fits into a book that we've been studying as a staff uh, by Michael Horton. Uh, that book is titled Recovering Our Sanity. How the Fear of God Conquers the Fears That Divide Us. Uh, and then also, actually, in our open classes in the summer, we offered uh, a class on the fear of man. And I really wish uh, more folks would have uh, been interested in that class. I think it has some great, um, great content. And so I just thought we would talk today about fear and uh, what that uh, should look like uh, for us as godly, godly men and women. You know, there's a foundational statement I think is important to begin with, just sort of as a presupposition. It doesn't answer every question that you might be having about fear or anxiety in your own life or how you're going to address that, respond to it. But as a Christian, we need to identify at least this basic presuppositional truth. And we covered this in our series recently in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So we know that Horton is right in his statement early in the book when he says God didn't design us to be in a perpetual state of fearful emergency, you know, stressed out anxiety. Um, so we need to know from the beginning that the fears that we face, while, while there are some healthy fears I think we could assume, so we're not talking about the presence of or the absence of any fear, um, you know, obviously there are certain natural Inborn fears that are probably due to how God wired us, that we're fearful of things that might kill us, uh, make us sick, that sort of thing. We're talking about those unnatural, external fears that are not from God. And so just, again, a starting point, Christian, understand God did not implant in us, design us for the bearing of, the carrying of unnatural, unnecessary, unwise fears and anxieties. And God's wisdom in His Word does address the source of our fears, and it does address how we respond to our fears, how we handle those and those anxieties. Yeah, I remember uh, one of the verses when we were uh, reading through the Bible this year, and then even I think we, I don't know exactly when we preached on this or taught on this, but it's in Matthew, uh, and it says, Matthew 10, 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, and I just remember thinking, man, what a what a powerful statement there to really uh, change our perspective, a paradigm of what we should fear uh, versus what we normally walk around fearing. Think of this statement that that Horton said. I mean, this this was his kind of supposition in the book that everything was built on. The fear of God drives out the fear of everything else. Yeah. And think about how often we actually are held captive to these irrational fears, like you're talking about fear of man, et cetera. You know, in, in, our, uh, in our open class that you mentioned where we talked about the fear of, fear of God, fear of man, um, we reference a book called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And think about some of these questions that help diagnose the sort of fears that, that we have, the sort of fears that you might have if you're listening. These are the questions that Ed asked in his book. Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? You know, any kind of peer pressure, not just the kind that affects teenagers, the kind that affects 50-year-old men, the kind that affects business professionals or whatever it may be. Um, number two, are you overcommitted? Do you find it's hard to say no even when wisdom indicates that you should? 
Yeah. So, you know, why do we do that? What, what are we fearing? We're fearing rejection. We're fearing someone won't understand. Um, we don't feel self-confident. Someone might think that we're lazy, whatever the needs may be, reasons may be. Um, do you, quote, unquote, need something from your spouse, coworker, your friend? Do you ever feel like you might be exposed as an imposter? Do you second-guess decisions because of what other people might think? Are you afraid of making mistakes that might make you look bad? Do you ever lie, especially the little white ones, cover-ups? Do you avoid people? Um, are you dieting or working out to impress others or for genuine health reasons? Um, do you compare yourself to other people? And if you do, do you feel good about yourself or superior? And then this one that's probably affects so many Christians, whenever we talk about sharing the gospel, soul winning, have you ever been too timid to share your faith because others might think you're an irrational fool? You know, those kind of questions. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we really struggle with a lot of domineering fears. Yeah, and one thing that's also in that, that open class is, you know, the healthy way is to look at it is to fear God and love others. But I think sometimes we get those confused and we start thinking that it's more important, you know, or the, the, where we keep our focus is love God and fear others instead of fear God, love others. And that's the, that's the opposite of really what, what the Bible teaches. You know, I'm not sure what the most common kind of fears are. I was just doing some, some brief Google research as it is, as it were before we started this podcast today, just what are, what are common, you know, typical kind of fears that people are having today? And I kind of came up with the sense that, man, you can't even list them all. Uh, there are so many. Um, you know, I like, what, uh, I like what he says in the intro to the book there in his, his book, Our Sanity. He says, if you're, if you're a boomer, you're afraid of getting old. If you're a millennial, you're afraid that you're not that special. And if you're Generation Z, if you're Gen Z, you're probably fearful and worried about everything. Yeah. And man, this shows up so easily in social media. I mean, you look at Twitter and, and just other forms of social media, Instagram, et cetera, and we start to get past the frivolous stuff and you start talking about what's happening in our world, what's happening with our government, what's happening with our economy, what's happening with, with immigration, what's happening with taxation, what's happening with... Uh, you know, just so many issues, and it's easy to find yourself genuinely, maybe quite unintentionally, and maybe you're even unaware of how captivated you're becoming to fear. And I was challenged by something I read this week in, in the Scriptures, First Peter 5, 6, and 7. It says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And I thought of that parallel, or those, those two companion statements there for a moment. Humbling myself, knowing that I'm not, I'm not capable of handling everything that comes my way. God didn't design me or intend me to be fiercely independent, autonomous, um, self-sufficient. But I do need to humble myself, which means I do need to acknowledge my need for God and seek it. I also do, do need to recognize my need for other people and trust them, and let them help me, but also consciously casting my fears, my anxieties on him, trusting that he, that he cares for me. And Charles, the reason I bring that up is this, you know, that, that sounds just like, well, preacher talk, but I want you to compare for a second. When you begin to think that we live in the worst time ever in history, which is the way some people seem to, to think, certainly seem to tweet and write, that, that there's never been a more fearful time, Yeah, fear for what my kids future is going to be like, or my grandkids' future is going to be like, uh, 
the future of our government, our country, our culture, et cetera. You know, we just seem, seem to be reacting so completely out of fear. Recognize the context of Peter writing those words in the first century. Peter, who would be martyred brutally. Peter, who lived in a culture that was dominated by an overtly evil Roman Empire. I mean, you talk about people waking up every morning with fears. How much worse can it get for us? What's going to happen to Christians Christians next? Did you hear about so-and-so that he was arrested? Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you see so-and-so was executed? I mean, can you imagine? This is a time where this is this is not just theoretical. And this is everyday real stuff. Every morning getting up, God, you are sovereign. You have absolute authority and power, and you are good. You care for me. So today, these fears that I have, I'm going to consciously cast on you. Um, so I thought that was just really, you know, really challenging to me that this isn't just some sort of tuck this away in case you need to cast your cares on him. No, this is a daily reality of life when there are genuine causes out there that could cause anxiety, fear, stress, et cetera. Yeah, I think, you know, um, when you talk about then the fear of God, you know, one of the definitions that's given in our, our teaching material says the fear of God is reverent submission that leads to obedient trust and worship. Um, and I think that's helpful to keep that in mind when we're talking about fear of God versus fear of man and the things that we run in or, or that you're talking about there. Um, just to, the idea that um, realizing who God is, the, the power, the might of God that then loves us and wants to work through us just should change how we look and have our relationships with other people. Let's talk about the idea of fear of God for a minute. Um, I like one of the things that Horton says in his book, and this is sort of a paraphrase, but think of all the times or any of the times you've heard a sermon, a, a Bible study, where someone speaks of the fear of God. And in Horton's words, typically um, it's immediately followed up with qualifications. He says it dies a death of a thousand qualifiers. Yeah. That, what that, that really isn't fear, that really isn't this. And so we end up with this very... Um, insipid, very shallow, reduced version of, well, just have, a, have an honor for, have a respect for God. And he said, that's really not what the Bible's talking about here. It's talking about the awesomeness of God that were you to encounter him, you would be rendered speechless, or you would be like Isaiah and you'd fall on your face, or, or like Moses and, and, and not know what to say, not know what to do. I mean, this awesome fear of the Almighty that's far more than respect it's, it's the desire to please him above all others and the genuine fear that I might sin against him and never wanting to disappoint. And I think about, you know, these are things that are, I guess, I don't know, kind of easy to say theologically, but think about that and the application of your life in that situation. Whose opinion do I care about the most? When I exit that conversation, do I want to know God was pleased with that or that person doesn't think poorly of me? Yeah. That yep. person's not, you know, opposed to me, or I didn't lose, I didn't lose a friend there. I, I'm not saying we're trying to be obnoxious. You know, the point is God prevailing overall, so that ultimately in that moment, I'm not so, I'm not so afraid of them. Yeah, I think it. I think our fears of what other people are going to think seem so much real to us. And you know, we've had this discussion with the college students some about um, just the way we live in this physical world so much that we we almost put behind us the idea of this of, of the true spirituality that we live in and how God is is there and is present and 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 we instead just look at all our physical things that we can see and so we think those are more real and I think that's what then drives us then to fall into these other fears when really 
uh, they have nothing to even come close to the magnitude of who God is. Well, you know, just a simple proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, Proverbs 9.10. It doesn't mean that that is the beginning of, I mean, it doesn't mean that that is the absolute answer to every equation, every situation, but it is the beginning to them all. Like when, when the author of Proverbs writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, well, one, we have to understand what, what fear of the Lord is, that I, I honor Him above all. I am concerned about His view of me above any other view of me or concerned about me. I desire to please Him above all. If I genuinely desire to do that, that standing before God is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is you know, intellectual skill. It's, as Horton says, it's sanity. It's putting things back in order. So I have to start thinking through, okay, how do I fear fear God first? And that's why, again, referencing back to his book, and I think he's exactly right, locating the right object of your fear is your first priority. What, what, what do you fear most? What do you care about most? And trying to think about eternity and standing before God versus just this moment um, maybe could dispel some of these irrational fears that we have. And again, I'm not just talking about the fear of people. I'm talking about the fear of, of events, uh, fear of the future, Fear of uncertainty, fear of sickness or disease, fear of death, a fear of persecution, um, you know, all those things begin to give way when we say, you know, what can man do to me? You know, it's only God. Only God is worthy of, worthy of my fear. But I think the challenge to that, when we talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the second part's the kicker for me. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And here's, here's the big challenge. Do we really... Do we really know God, or do we just know stuff about God? We know things God has said. We know things God has done. We know things God has required or things God has judged. But beginning to genuinely know God so that I, I trust that His sovereignty is active in the world by virtue of His providence. He's working out you know, everything in conformity to His will. And the more I know him, the more I'm able to trust him. And then something like First Peter 5, 6, and 7 becomes reality. I, I, can cast, I can cast this fear on him. Yeah, a verse that came to mind when you were saying that is, is back to how Ecclesiastes ends. You know, uh, it ends with fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So out of all of the wisdom that Solomon had, that's where he ends up. Yeah, that's pretty strong. And then, I mean, distills it all into that. And you might be listening and thinking, okay, so what about, you know, I just have anxiety, it's, and it's, it's generalized, and I can't ascribe it to any particular cause. It's, it's just this generalized anxiety. How does this fit in? Are you, you telling me that, you know, maybe I don't need, I don't need to talk to a counselor or uh, medication is not necessary? You know, I'm not saying that. That's, that's a little bit beyond my professional pay grade. And I'm not denying that there may be real issues that would require both of those things. What I'm saying is everything has to start with who is God to you? And not again, and when I say that, I'm not saying you get to define who God is. I'm saying is your view of God an accurate one? Yeah. Because if your idea, your concept of God is inaccurate or insufficient, then you're going to subject yourself to all sorts of insanities. And again, I'm not saying that having anxiety makes you insane. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that insanity is not seeing things correctly. Wisdom is seeing things correctly. Wisdom is sanity. Getting these things right, seeing them truly is, is wisdom and knowing what, to, what I'm supposed to do with them. So you know, I think about some of these issues that we talk about, like the questions that Ed Welch asked, fear of 
people and peer pressure, fear of, of being found out, exposed for who I really am, fear of failure, um, fear of crowds, fear of all, the, you know, all these different things. I think the starting point of all those is, okay, God, do I see you correctly? And do I know what you have promised me? Do I trust in what you have said? And am I consciously casting cares on you? Casting is not a passive concept. It's am I giving this over to God? So am I praying a lot about these things? Um, am I trusting other people in my life? Am I leaning on other people? Am I involving them? And I tell you one big challenge I think, Charles, for a lot of folks is fundamentally we think that weakness has to be covered or denied. Um, we fear ever being seen as weak. But we have to learn to be okay with weakness because without weakness, we'll never know the strength of him who's perfect strength. And that's, that's what Paul said. In my weakness, his, his strength is made perfect. But in that weakness, we learn to, to depend on him, to humble ourselves. And, and again, that was the first statement of casting your cares on. Humble yourself. Acknowledge that you've got weaknesses. Acknowledge that you can't fix all these things on your own, that your willpower is not sufficient, or that for whatever reason, whatever the cause, you're not strong enough, able enough, capable enough, but God is. So the humbling acknowledgement, humble acknowledgement of my own weaknesses, submitting myself to God, saying, God, I am dependent on you, I trust you, and so I'm going to give these, I'm going to give these cares over to you. Yeah, I think about even in the life of the church, you know, we, we come together um, weekly, and we're supposed to love one another, encourage one another, you know, cast our burdens on one another, carry each other's burdens, so to speak. Maybe not, um, you know, but we're supposed to be open. And I think sometimes the fear of man keeps that from happening as well. You know, we, we instead come and we want to be seen as the one who has it all together. Uh, we want to be seen as the one who is living this Christian life and doesn't have any sin, doesn't have any imperfections, which is such a false uh, idea, but it's something that, that hampers the church from really being open to one another is that fear of man instead of really being what God's called the church to be. Maybe somebody can fact check me on this one, but I'm just sort of pull, pulling something from some um, uncategorized section of my memory here. But I believe it was Henry Cloud that wrote about the kind of the the relational tragedy that exists in the church, where in a church we do exactly what you're talking about, that we're more prone than in any other place to pretend to be something that we're not, yeah. to act as if we've got it all together. And the exact opposite experience in something like an AA meeting, in an AA meeting where the vulnerability and the 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 weakness and the struggle and the dependency on, now in their vernacular, a higher power, but also on the support of other people and a sponsor. You know, that weakness and that need and that camaraderie is encouraged, but in church we do the opposite. What if we could take on some of that mentality where pe people could come together and you're sitting in your small group or your D group and say, hey, pray for me, I'm really struggling. Pray for me, I, I'm, you know, I'm really dealing with just some some real fears about such and such or some real anxiety about or I'm really concerned about this element that's coming in the future or something about my son or daughter or whatever it may be. And man, just have that sort of vulnerability both to God and other people. How powerful could that be in in helping us? Yeah, you know, that's that's really supposed to be what our small group really look like it looks like you know um, our whole idea about uh, having a, a ministry of small groups where uh, you get to know eight to ten people and it, there is some um, some time to sit there and be vulnerable with one another and talk about fears talk about 
things that are going on in your life, talk about imperfections, talk about sin, and and help each other through that. Um, and so I think I think if people understood, or if our church really gets the idea of a small group of being that where you can do it uh, in a way that's more open, and then show the love to one another, carry one another through those things. I think that that's where real church health can happen when it comes to vulnerability and openness. And I think maybe we have a, a misunderstanding sometimes of, of the contrast between fear and courage. People that we perceive to be so bold, so courageous, boy, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could be more like that person. That courage and that boldness is not the absence of fear. It's just the right response to it. It's that I'm going to move forward regardless. I'm going to I'm going to trust the Lord anyway. And part of this, I think, is just the faith-fueled refusal to give in to fear it, because that would be a, an easy, natural bent for us. Just I'm going to be so concerned about the future that I'm just going to stress about it all the time. I'm going to worry about it all the time. Um, and, that, and that sort of faith doesn't create you know, foolishness. Like uh, my wife and I were talking about some finances, and, and you know, everybody knows how the economy has changed, and inflation has raged in the last few years. And um, she tends to be a little bit more faith-filled in these situations than I do. And uh, her response was, well, you know, God's got us. Well, that's ultimately true. Now, that's not an excuse for doing things foolishly or wastefully or not carefully, but it is the ultimate reality for Christians. God's got us. We're not outside of his hand. We're not outside of his scope. And so, you know, what I was saying a minute ago, trusting that he does care for me, but he doesn't care for me like, um, I don't know, he doesn't care for me like a, a doting old grandparent. He doesn't care for me like a, like a friend who's super sympathetic. He, he doesn't care for me like a, like a counselor who, let me see if I can give you a few words to help you keep going. He cares for me as the Almighty. He's the almighty maker of heaven and earth, um, creator, judge, king over all that is. I mean, God's care is rooted in, in power, somebody who can do something about it. So trusting in that you know, deeply, um, I think that's, that's, the real, that's the real challenge for us, to see God that way. In, in Horton's book, he says, um, our problem often with God is that we've turned, these are his words, we've turned God into a supporting actor for our life movie. Sometimes personal therapist, life coach, manager, et cetera, but however we define it, it's, it's God who exists for us. What if we changed it back to a biblical orientation and say, God, we exist for you? Yeah, I was in biblical theology open class this past week, and that's kind of the whole point of that biblical theology, you know, to have that mindset of the Bible coming from that view, because we do the same thing with Bible characters, right? I mean, we turn those Bible characters in, they're the main focus of the Bible instead of God being the main focus. Uh, I know you've talked about that with expositional preaching and how we instead turn it into therapeutic ways to look at scriptures. Yeah. What do we do with David and what do Moral we do with Moral tales or, you know, yeah. And so, of course, then we do the same thing with our own lives, you know. I like what he said, and I thought this is one of the parts that challenged me the most. I highlighted it, underlined it, put a tab on it. In the Bible, what's the worst thing that can be said of someone? It's that they didn't fear the Lord, that they didn't fear the Lord. Um, when the fear of the Lord is lost, everything can give way. So, again, that's, that's the starting point, starting with the right fear. Okay, God, you're the only person I should fear. You're the only opinion that should ultimately matter. You're, you're the only one that I should be concerned about offending, um, falling short of. Uh, you're the one whose approval um, I desire most, so how do I approach all these other things? Is Am I living for the approval of others? Um, 
Am I allowing other people to judge my worth or my value? Am I allowing myself to be defined by them? Am I comparing myself to others? And then that's inevitably uh, a failure because I'm either going to come out of that with more pride because I'm better than the people I compare myself to in my own eyes, or I'm going to come out with some degree of self-loathing or lower self-esteem because I'm not as good as they are and I wish I could be like them. Um, what if I'm most concerned about God? How do you see me? You know, this this sounds like a bit of a commercial, Charles, but even this this Sunday night, I'll be talking about this coming Sunday night. I'll be talking about the Lord who knows us from an Old Testament passage mm-hmm. and uh, in a famous story in Israel's history, the rebellion of Korah against Moses. The really the most indicting statement in it is the Lord knows those who are His. We see the externals and and we see what people say and. And people can put on a facade, but with God there is no facade, so um, He knows those who are His, so caring about Him first. And then looking at, does that change the equation at all in some of these fears that I have? Yeah, and that really talks back to even what you preached on Sunday with, with Paul saying, you know, the reason he does what he does is for the, for the elect and those who would be saved, you know. And, and uh, so once again, it's back to God knowing who are His. And this is not just a theoretical concept. I know some people are struggling with real real fears and anxieties, and I'm not trying to give you um, in a 25-minute podcast answer to all those. What I am saying is it everything, every wisdom according to Scripture, wisdom, the right application of what is true, the right time, the right place. You know, wisdom is the, the skill of knowing. Um, what do I do with that? Not the capacity to know. That's intelligence, but the skill of applied knowledge starts with knowing God right. So, is God too small in my mind? Have I really trusted Him with this? Have I prayed through this? Am I praying over this constantly, through this constantly? Do I do I know what God has promised? Do I know what God has said? Do I have a, a good sense of the promise of the future? Even if you know, like we talk about this so often, the eternal perspective of Paul that allowed him to contrast so distinctly the sufferings of this life versus the promised blessings of the next. I want to get to that point. I want to get to that point where I could say, you know what, if I have to suffer in a prison for this, I will, because I know that the reward is beyond my scope of understanding. It can't even be compared to the sufferings that are in front of me. You know, do, do I want to do that? Do I, do I want to have the, the constant hope of someone like David who... Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You know, the protecting power of God, the presence of God. And even if things are tough, you're with me. You're with me with my enemies. You're with me through the through the valley of even up to death. If death is where you would have me walk, and I know what you have for me. You know, having the the confidence in those things. And um, I believe that's the beginning point of of dispelling fear or anxiety. I cast it on him, knowing that he cares for me. Yep. Well, um, anything else you, you think handle that as well as we can? <laughs> well, there's probably a lot that might may beg more questions than, than answers. Um, I thought this was I thought this was good. You know, Charles, we talked about this. You'd asked this question. I don't remember if this actually made it to one of our podcasts or if this was one of our conversations beforehand, but we were talking about that sort of tension for a Christian when it comes to death and dying, about wanting to live but also wanting to die. Yeah. And I came across this. I wish I'd have had this when we were having that conversation. But this was an anecdote from um, the evangelist George Whitfield's life. And so it, it's, it goes sort of along these lines. So George Whitfield was talking about the difficulties of the ministry, gospel ministry and pastoral ministry with his friends. 
Um, he's talking how weary he is of all the burdens and the opposition, the struggles, and he states that he's glad that this is soon going to be over and all this hard stuff is going to be done and he's going to depart this earthly scene to be with Christ. And so all the others around him, his peers and other pastors and things, they all agreed with him that you know they can't wait to, to be finished with all this, all the pains and struggles of this life and get on to heaven. And he says, everybody except one, a Mr. Tennant, and noting this, Whitfield taps him on the knee and says to him, Brother Tennant, you're the oldest among us. Do you not rejoice to think that your time is so near at hand that you will soon be called home? And uh, this was his response. He says, um, the old man answered bluntly that he had no wish about it. And he was pressed for something more, more definite. What do you mean? He says, I have nothing to do with death. My business is to live as long as I can and as well as I can and serve my Savior as faithfully as I can until he thinks it's time to call me home. And in his own writing, Whitfield said he accepted that as a gentle rebuke from the Lord, and it gave him the encouragement to press on, press on, to be faithful, um, to be patient, um, to be trusting, you know, to be calm moving forward. And I think that's a challenge for us here. And so um, we have to consciously choose to reject fear and not be hampered by it, guided by it, hindered by it. We have to choose faith. The action of faith is prayer and casting those cares on Him, admitting weakness, sharing those weakness, weaknesses with others, inviting other people into our weakness, having those people that are there to support us. Um, we, we choose faith by our actions, and we have to make it our aim. This, you know, Let me say this, Charles, real quick. Yes, if there was anything else. It seems almost always when we're giving a solution to someone's problems, when I say almost always, so it was a, in doing pastoral counseling, biblical counseling, that when you point people to something so simple as this basic biblical statement, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, I don't know what I should do about this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowing what's right, knowing how to do it. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know, I'm just so confused about the knowledge of the Holy One. It's as if people are saying, okay, there's got to be something else. Yeah. No, no, I mean, give me something else. No, I'm saying there's no shortcut in the decisions of life, the struggles of life, the challenges of life, the pains of life. There's no shortcut to getting to know God. So whatever it is, I'm not saying it's all encompassing to every part of your solution. I'm saying there will be no healthy solution to any dilemma for a Christian that doesn't begin with, God, I want to know you. I really want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to know what you have done. I want to know what you say. I want to know what you promise. Um, I want to know what fellowship with you is like. I want to commune with you by casting my cares on you, hearing from you from your word. I want to learn to trust in you consciously, daily, so that I'm not trusting in myself, and I'm not trusting in what I see, and I'm not trusting in what I feel, and I'm not trusting in circumstances around me. And fear is not going to dominate me. I'm going to be surrendered to you. I'm going to humble myself under your mighty hand, Trusting that you will exalt me in due time, you'll lift me up, and I'm gonna cast my anxieties on you because I know you care for me. That's that's the best answer I have, in general. So maybe if there's some more specifics, we'll talk about those later. Amen. I I think that's great. Um, hopefully that was helpful to you. Uh, remember, if you have uh, questions like something like this, we would love to uh, spend a few minutes talking about it. So you can email us at podcast at calvarydothan.com, and uh, we'll see you next time. Remember, we are for God, for Dothan, and for the world. <laughs>